Good afternoon. It's Monday, the 3rd of January, 2022, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News, your host today, Mike Robinson, myself, Brian Gerrish, and we're delighted to be joined by David Scott, bringing us Northern Exposure from north of the border. And uh, we should say Happy New Year to everybody. Well, of course we will. Uh, New Year is the appropriate greeting, of course. Oh, is it? And you. Oh, yes. Right. Gotcha. OK. Well, speaking of uh, New Year's, of course, it's also a new uh, school term beginning. Uh, and uh, well, of course, there's announcements and th those involve testing, masks and so on. So all secondary schools have been asked to provide one on-site test for pupils. Now, these are only recommendations, so it's not the law. Uh, and uh, uh, educational staff, college students are being asked to self-test at home before they return to school. Uh, they've been uh, apparently, despite the shortage of tests, they are being able to uh, uh, get a uh, supply chain for chess tests, including a backup supply chain. Uh, here is uh, the wonderful uh, Nazanin Sahawi, no, Nadim Sahawi, Anton LeVay, as he's otherwise known. Uh, and uh, being in the classroom, he said, is undoubtedly the very best place for children. And I'm looking forward to welcoming pupils back next week. Uh, and uh, he went on to say uh, to continue their face to face learning, which is so important for their education and well-being. So, David, maybe if we could uh, say Happy New Year to you as well and welcome you to the programme and say, uh, uh, Mr. Zahawi, right on the button there and, you know, masks and uh, testing is absolutely necessary. Basically, I think it's mask to mask learning and that's somewhat different. He seems to have uh, missed a few tricks there. Uh, yes, we're seeing exactly the same narrative in Scotland. I get tested and your comment there, it's a recommendation, but it's not the law. Um, doesn't seem entirely clear what the difference is anymore, and it doesn't seem that the state knows. Uh, well, I, th I think the state knows exactly uh, what the what the difference is, but they are uh, uh, absolutely prepared to go ahead and make recommendations as if they are the law, because they are the law now, right? Well, this is it, because it, 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 policy, if you have... Um, control over the people administering the policy via contracts of employment and going against the policy is a case for dismissal, then policy is the law, right? The fact that it's not actually the law uh, or even legislation or even um, uh, on the way to becoming legislation doesn't matter anymore. Policy becomes the law because of the financial clout, the contractual clout that the state now holds over so many of our people. Indeed. And uh, David, when uh, policy becomes the law, the law can take us anywhere, the policy can take us anywhere. So uh, let's bring in this Daily Mail headline from the 27th of uh, December. GPs offered teenage patients with autism and Down syndrome do not resuscitate orders during routine appointments at the height of the pandemic. Now, according to the Mail, this left some uh, people confused and upset well, I think really what they would be thinking is outrage because, of course, this is targeting some of the most vulnerable people mm. in our society. And uh, what can we see here? Well, I've put alongside that clip reference to the, uh, the Nazi T4 policy. This, of course, was the policy in the late 1930s when the Nazis started to experiment on and kill off vulnerable people, disabled or uh, mentally ill patients. And now we see the same policy coming up through 
our very own NHS, or was it? Because the question that the public should be asking is who was the individual, who were the individuals that put this do not resuscitate policy forward? Let's identify them, name them, and then of course we can call them to account. But uh, where is this creation of the law by this um, artificial government? Where is it going? It's going into very dark places indeed. Okay, well, so where does that take us then? Uh, David Wright said, Fred, uh, and they're, right. they're, yeah, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, Wright said, Fred, uh, were on Twitter and they were uh, highlighting just how thoroughly reliable uh, the testing regime is in the United Kingdom. So they, they, they said here, well, they decided to lateral flow test the tap water. Uh, test F1 uh, is negative and test F2 is positive. The tests were taking 20 minutes apart. So there we go, we've seen all these things. Oh, you must test often because, you know, I tested and I was fine and then I tested again just before I went out to the party and I, and I, and I, I, I had COVID. We've seen all of these tests. Well, apparently it applies to tap water too. Uh, indeed. Now, uh, this brings us on to this article on Armstrong uh, Economics, and the headline is uh, CDC admits COVID tests are invalid. And it, the quote here from the article is, after December the 31st, 2021, CDC will withdraw the request to the U.S. Food and Drug Administration for emergency use authorization of the CDC 2019 novel coronavirus real-time RT-PCR diagnostic panel, the assay first introduced in February 2020 for detection of SARS-CoV-2 only. Um, and, and David, I don't know uh, what your thoughts are on this, but uh, I've seen these types of headlines and these types of articles uh, before. And once you go and actually look at what was the specific assay that's been removed, you find that it's one of many assays that are used in, in RT-PCR tests. So it's not quite accurate to suggest that the CDC is admitting the COVID tests are invalid because they're not, they're, they're in fact, uh, simply weeding out some of the uh, early assays that perhaps they feel are uh, not of use anymore. Yes, uh, and it was interesting to see how this particular author arrived at this because it came from his personal experience. Uh, he had several negative tests for COVID. He was feeling unwell. He went along for medical uh, attention. And the doctors who were dealing with him said, well, the tests are invalid. They don't work. So he's reacting to this uh, from uh, the CDC, thinking this is this is admit, admitting something that was um, certainly strongly felt in the medical profession and in the wider community for um, many, many months now. But there's no sign that the CDC are doing any such thing. Um, I, this is the second time I've seen essentially the same story, I think triggered by similar moves in the CDC. Um, but we're not seeing anything um, like a... A, a real reversal from them. There is a gradual creep back uh, in many branches of the state from some of the more extreme positions that they've held. Not really the CDC, but some of the other branches of the state in America are are removing uh, certain mandates and, and, and certain attempts to enforce um, compulsory vaccination. Um, so there is, there is movement in the right direction, but the CDC do not seem to be um, joining in. Uh, no. 
but uh, look, we don't need to worry because uh, the government's on the case. And uh, well, first of all, they've released. <laughs> Sorry, Sorry, I had to smile, Mike. At yes, that I know, I know. Uh, because uh, they have decided that they are push it, putting in uh, uh, measures to prevent workplace disruption as a result of the number of people that are off work in the, at the big early of beginning of the year because of uh, the Omicron variant. Um, and uh, so what are they talking about? Well, they're talking about uh, a whole host of, of uh, things, including reducing the isolation period from uh, 10 days to seven days, uh, introducing daily contact testing. This means that if you, uh, if, if Brian, for example, were to test positive and, and I'm viewed as a contact of, uh, of uh, Brian's and I wouldn't have to self-isolate so long as I uh, have uh, comply with the testing regime. Uh, investing in to support workplace workforce recruitment, digital staff passports for NHS staff, and that's so that NHS staff can move from one hospital to another uh, without uh, without any problems. Apparently, uh, extending the infection control fund, uh, one of the batches of money that's being thrown around at the moment, boosting the number of HGV drivers by reducing the standards uh, to become an HGV driver, uh, asking qualified teachers who are no longer in the profession temporarily fill absences uh, and working to speed up the registration of overseas nurses to practice in the UK. Um, so that, those are the measures that they're uh, putting in place to make sure that uh, there's no or very little workplace disruption. Um, and uh, well, even better news from the government because they have uh, now uh, approved uh, the latest Pfizer drug, which is uh, an oral antiviral treatment candidate. Well, it was a candidate, now it's approved. Uh, Pfizer claimed that uh, it reduced risk of hospitalization and death by 89% uh, in interim analysis of phase two stroke three EPIC HR study. And uh, this was really what attracted my attention, David, because what we're seeing more and more is this blurring of the lines uh, on, you know, with respect to, to uh, uh, Studies and and uh, what's I'm sorry the policy no studies no no no, no no I'm I'm thinking in terms of the of the uh, uh, clinical trials sorry that's the term I was looking for uh, and we don't have phase two clinical trials followed by phase three clinical trials anymore we've got phase two slash three clinical trials and the, the it seems like the clinical trial process uh, as a result of the uh, vaccination and the so-called emergency use uh, authorizations and the push to get vaccinations through in six months time. This is now being pushed out to all kinds of medications and we're getting them through without uh, the traditional clinical trial process being pushed through at all. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the reduction, we'll come to this, we'll come to some comments from a, a certain Mr. Fauci later in the news about the, 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 the changes that we've seen to the process of developing uh, uh, vaccines and, and medicines uh, during this process. Um, you, you started off there talking about um, uh, plans and, and, and arrangements for the workplace. Uh, the BBC were reporting today that uh, the workplace has uh, been asked by the government to plan for 25% of the staff being off at any one time. 25%, a quarter. Um, so that would basically shut down most businesses or or so hamper them as to as to be on a, a limp mode only um and that seems to be what uh, what we're being told to expect for what is it would appear uh, a bad cold or a flu 
Um, well, I'm interested in both your views on this one. Um, would you view 25% uh, of the workforce being offered at, at any one point in time? Uh, would you view that as being a successful vaccination program? <laughs> well, my response, my response is no, and I'm going to add very quickly, and I'd like to know how that 25% was calculated because we know that all the statistics across the uh, the, the claim of a pandemic, of, of whether it's been uh, COVID or uh, moronic Omicron, is uh, these have been false. They've been provably false. So how do you then come up with a 25% statistic? I think this is a planted idea. This is to get the public thinking that 25% of the workforce is not there. Um, well, just uh, if we just put uh, the Pfizer uh, graphic back up on screen for one second, please. Uh, I just wanted to mention that this new drug is called uh, Paxlovid, uh, and uh, the MHRA uh, has found it to be safe and effective at reducing the risk of hospitalization and death in people with mild to moderate COVID-19 inf infection who've, uh, who are at increased risk of developing severe disease. And this follows a rigorous review of its safety, quality and effectiveness uh, by the UK regulator uh, and expert advice from the government's independent scientific advisory body, the Commission on Human Medicines. Um, so that's all fantastic stuff. And just, uh, we don't have a graphic for it, but just uh, to remind everybody, of course, if you didn't see this uh, over the Christmas period, uh, that uh, Sajid Javid has taken the advice from the JCVI that uh, uh, certain groups of 11 to 15 year olds will now be allowed to take the Pfizer uh, vaccine. Um, so, uh, so that's good news, isn't it? No, no. Okay, let's move on then to this uh, AstraZeneca. Uh, and uh, of course, uh, you'll be glad to remember that a year ago, uh, in fact, it was a year ago on the thirtieth uh, of December, AstraZeneca was given its uh, 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 emergency use authorization. Uh, I can't remember the exact UK equivalent of that term. Uh, but the UK became the first country in the world to approve the Oxford uh, AstraZeneca vaccine uh, on the 30th of December uh, 2020. And so uh, it's a year in. Uh, but the, what I've put on screen here is approval. Who needs approval? Because, of course, we've got to remember uh, how AstraZeneca uh, got the money to go ahead with this in the first place, because the government signed, I believe it was in May 2020, uh, the government signed uh, a contract for the supply of AstraZeneca vaccine, whether or not it had received its approval. Uh, and uh, of course, at that point, it hadn't received any approval. Um, so uh, 50 million vaccines, uh, the government is claiming, have been administered in the UK, uh, saving countless lives uh, and keeping people out of hospital. Uh, that's what the government claims. But let's get back to the issue of clinical trials for a second, because, uh, of course, AstraZeneca's uh, clinical trial uh, phase three clinical trial is still ongoing. Um, this is uh, clinicaltrials.gov. It's talking about the AstraZeneca clinical trial. And of course, if you can see, as you can see, that continues until February the 14th, 2023. Uh, but the question is, is it ongoing now? Uh, obviously, they would argue that uh, the, the main data is in and therefore the, uh, the approval has been given. Uh, but the phase three clinical trial continues uh, as longer term safety data is gathered. Um, but of course, it becomes extremely difficult to gather proper safety data, David, on a phase three double blind placebo controlled study of the AstraZeneca. One when you've decided, and this is the Telegraph reporting this some time ago, 
uh, in December uh, 2020, uh, 2020. In fact, that Oxford uh, was to tell the vaccine trial volunteers if they got a placebo once they were offered the jabs by the NHS. So volunteers of the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine trial is to be unblinded so they can receive potentially life-saving COVID vaccinations quickly. The Telegraph has learned. So my question, David, then is, uh, how do you run a phase three trial until February uh, 2023 uh, when your placebo group is no longer a placebo group? Well, you can't. And of course, this has been the problem with vaccines for decades. Uh, where are the double-blind placebo-controlled um, trials that show they're safe and effective uh, have demanded those, largely those whose children have been harmed by vaccines and who were campaigning on this subject. And of course, these tests do not exist. Uh, when um, uh, in previous uh, years, we were comparing uh, a vaccine uh, loaded with uh, adjuvants and uh, heavy metals, um, the, placebo, the placebo, the control group, still had many of these um, adjuvants uh, injected into them. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't uh, simply glucose or, uh, or saline solution or something like that that was injected. It was, it was something that was, that was uh, also quite harmful. So you were never getting uh, to the point where you were comparing vaccinated and unvaccinated to see what the difference was. It's not really complicated science, but it's, it's pretty basic. It's information that's necessary. I hear once again the opportunity to do that has been thrown away and uh, the data will not be gathered. Uh, why? Well, it, it is suspicious that they're not gathering this data. And of course, the whole argument over COVID and the vaccination programme has become more and more an argument over statistics and data and getting clear figures is vital. Uh, it is indeed. Um, so which brings us to a video uh, of Sajid Javid. Uh, David, so do you want to introduce this one? Yes, this is uh, highlighted by uh, Lawrence Fox uh, on Twitter. Um, it, it shows uh, Javid talking um, to the unvaccinated in, in, a, in a dark and threatening manner. And what he's suggesting here is the way that the rest of the population should view those who have chosen uh, to exercise their their right to bodily autonomy and uh, decided not to consent to the vaccine. Um, and the point that Lawrence Fox is, ma is making is that this sort of language goes very quickly to some very dark places where you have a group that are becoming persecuted. Just cannot emphasize enough the impact that they are having on the rest of society. They must really think about the damage they are doing to society by they take up hospital beds that could have been used for someone with maybe a heart problem or uh, maybe someone who's waiting for an elective surgery. But instead of protecting themselves and protecting their community, they choose not to get vaccinated. They are really having a damaging impact. And, and, and I just can't stress enough, please do come forward and get vaccinated. So if you're if you're not vaccinated, you and, and you get ill for any reason, um, you're you're not ill. It's not very sorry you're unwell. It's you're taking up a hospital bed that could be used for a a case that was not, um, what deserved, self-inflicted. I don't know what the suggestion here is from Mr. Javid, but it doesn't sound very nice. And the language is all about damage, impact, serious damage. It's all very um, well. A unscientific because of course 
we've been following the statistics and we know there's no evidence for any of that. Uh, and it's also there to stir up animosity and hatred uh, for anyone who refuses to get a vaccine. And that, of course, would be to uh, roll back any idea of informed consent. Uh, that's gone long ago. And uh, it's simply a case of social pressure and uh, psychological manipulation. Um, it's where the government's currently operating. They've stopped one level short of physical force. Yes, uh, which brings us on to The Guardian then. And uh, grief, needle phobia, lack of trust, why we refused COVID jabs and what changed our minds. Now, this was, this was deeply funny, right? Because I can imagine the, the scene in the Guardian office, right? We're losing the info war over, uh, over vaccination. So I want you to go out and find three people in the entire country who used to be vaccine refuseniks have changed their minds. We're going to do a feature on it. You only have to find three. Don't mess it up. And out they go. And they come back. Well, they've got three. Actually, one of the people they get used to it is needle phobic. He's, he's, it's nothing to do with vaccines. He's frightened of all hypodermic needles. So that does, that's not relevant. So we're down to two. So out of the whole country, these are the two people they could find who were vaccine refuseniks who have seen the light, right? So Jess, a PhD student from Fife, ecology student, uh, student Jess said, said she wasn't against the vaccine. She'd received her first and second doses. So these are the... This is a refusenik, remember? This is the best the Guardian can do. But she decided not to get the booster. In August 2021, shortly after her second jab, she miscarried. She was eight weeks pregnant. And, and you've really got to feel for anyone that's gone through that. She said, I was worried that the vaccine had contributed to my miscarriage and become wary of getting the booster once I found out I was pregnant again. Now, we've looked at the figures for this. The figures that we saw would suggest that um, the vaccines were roughly doubling um, the spontaneous abortions in the first trimester of, um, uh, of pregnancy. So there is a good chance that her concerns were correct and uh, you've got to feel for the young lady. Um, she continued, um, she considered waiting until she'd given birth to have her booster, but she then became concerned about Omicron and the number of un unvaccinated pregnant women ended up in ending up in intensive care. Now, we know that's a lie, but this, this poor lassie believed the lies in the mainstream media. This swader, she said, I realised my hesitance was based on grief and worry. Just looking at the data um, proved that COVID was a much greater risk than any of my worst fears about the vaccine affecting my pregnancy. I think that's incorrect. Uh, she changed her mind and had the booster. I don't want to get COVID whilst I'm in, I am pregnant and be in a situation that could potentially be harmful to me and the baby. She continues, I'm a scientist and I know if there was something seriously wrong with the vaccines, fellow scientists would stop at nothing to discover it and improve our understanding of them. I understand the visceral response and fear of vaccination, but we need to be realistic about how serious COVID can be and recognise how hard scientists and doctors have been working to keep us safe. Uh, no matter how I look at it now, getting vaccinated is worth it. So that very last statement shows how confused she is. And the, the, the naive believe that scientists are not, not uh, subject to all of the incentives and failings of the rest of the human race is something that she will learn in later life is not true. So that was the best they had to offer from the whole country. The second one they had, and they only managed to find two, um, was Adam, 
Um, he lost his faith in his government over the Dominic Cummings Bernard Castle affair. So he was late to the party. He said, if they can lie about something of this magnitude, what else can they lie about? Uh, and he became um, sceptical because of the speed of the vaccination rollout. I felt it was being quite rushed. There wasn't much research published or data coming out, which led, to me, led me to believe it was being pushed out for other reasons, not just to save lives, but to save the economy. Now, here we see he's a Guardian reader because he doesn't understand anything about the economy. The economy was being destroyed. But he, he believed this. Over time, so Guardian continues, over time, Adam, who works for his family's wealth management business, so a typical Guardian reader there, came to believe uh, in the benefits of vaccination by following hospital hospitalization figures in trusted news sources. So again, he believed the BBC and the mainstream media uh, and breakfast television that said 90% of the people uh, who were ill were unvaccinated. So he continues, I was hesitant about getting my first vaccine, uh, which I didn't have until about three months ago. I had my second dose three weeks ago. The hospitalisation numbers for people who were vaccinated compared to those unvaccinated were scary. So he was frightened. So they ad he is admitting there that he was frightened by the figures. And we know the figures were wrong. We know the figures were fraudulent. We'll come to that later in the, in the programme. The information that was published was worrying, so I thought it was best in the long run to get the vaccine rather than not, despite what my feelings were at the time. So he actually operated out of fear against his own better judgment. So that is the two people that the Guardian could find who were vaccine refusings who changed their mind. That's how badly they're losing the info war. Um, it's really quite striking. Um, which, sorry. I was just going to say, if those people are indeed real, because I've got to the stage now where simply because it's the Guardian or the Times, you can't actually necessarily trust what's in the article itself. But assuming those people are real, what you say is correct. Uh, which brings us to a little uh, cartoon, David. Yes, uh, 2022 uh, meme of the, uh, well, meme of the hour. Um, the, um, the medic here is, is shouting, come here, you anti-vaxxer, and chasing a small man who's running away saying, but I've had three shots already. And, and of course, this is the thing, because if you refuse the booster, you are an anti-vaxxer. Uh, you are defined as being unvaccinated, despite the other two uh, vaccinations. And uh, if you oppose the mandatory vaccination program, you're an anti-vaxxer by definition. So... Um, Prepare to be chased. Okay, so we have uh, another short video here with Anthony Fauci. Yeah, now this this is very striking. So this this shows that Fauci, for all his errors, um, is not a stupid man and does know does know the science well, and he is without excuse because what you'll he you'll hear him describing here is pretty much all of the concerns that we've been highlighting and so many the doctors uh, and nurses that we've been covering have been highlighting uh, over the months and years since the, since the covid um, outbreak started um and he knew exactly what he was doing and exactly the risks he was taking with the public when he initiated the vaccination program in the United States he's without excuse and he did not publish this widely at the time where he was uh, campaigning um, to get people to accept the vaccine. He did not inform them of the facts which he had. To a normal volunteer for a phase one trial to see if it's safe. 
That's the fastest that's ever been done. That's the good news. The challenging news is that even at that rocket speed, it's going to take a few months to show that the initial safety is okay. Then you go into a phase two trial, which instead of involving 45 people, which we have in the phase one trial, it involves hundreds if not thousands of people. That will take another six to eight months to even know if it works. So at the fastest we can go, it's going to take a year to a year and a half to know if we have a vaccine that we can use. There's another element to safety, and that is if you vaccinate someone and they make an antibody response and then they get exposed and infected, does the response that you induce actually enhance the infection and make it worse? And the only way you'll know that is if you do an extended study, not in a normal volunteer who has no risk of infection, but in people who are out there in a risk situation. This would not be the first time, if it happened, that a vaccine that looked good in initial safety actually made people worse. There was the history of the respiratory syncytial virus vaccine in children, which paradoxically made the children worse. One of the HIV vaccines that we tested several years ago actually made individuals more likely to get infected. So you can't just go out there and give it. So he knows the risks he's taken. He knows what could happen. Um, we've got um, uh, recently um, figures from Denmark that show uh, when you're dealing with Omicron, uh, the uh, Pfizer vaccine after three months is uh, minus 76.5% effective. It, it's, you're more likely to be ill if you've been vaccinated. Um, and the equivalent for Moderna is minus 39.3%. There's a lot of discussion trying to explain away these figures in places like uh, Reuters. Uh, but that's what the data says. That's what the raw data says. And there you heard Mr. Fauci admit that uh, vaccines can make people more likely to get infected, not less. Uh, and this is something that, uh, you know, we've been trying to warn people about actually for many years. And flu vaccine is something that we've talked about in, in past years, uh, enhancement of, of uh, a different strain of the, of the uh, virus. Yes. Uh, and and we've, we've got to add, and we've now moved into 2022 the MHRA in UK has still not produced any data to show that the uh, over 1.2 million adverse effects and some 1,800 deaths, that these are not the result of vaccines. They have still produced not one shred of evidence uh, to prove the safety of the vaccines. Uh, it's just incredible. OK, David, then we come on to the National Pulse uh, and Pfizer. It's National, uh, National Pulse uh, here reporting Pfizer partnered with China's vaccine passport platform and admits to being proud to stand with China's leaders. Uh, so they, they picked up here a Pfizer Inc. Uh, tweet uh, back from June 2018. We are proud to stand with China leaders and Alipay to introduce new digital solutions to improve disease education and vaccine access, creating a brighter future for Chinese children. Um, and uh, an extract from the Pfizer um, 
uh, end of year report, we're using the Alipay platform, which is over 700 million active users in China, to provide much needed education about disease and vaccinations. Additionally, to help China reach its ambitious 2030 goals to reduce infant mortality, we're exploring the use of the platform for mobile payments to improve convenience in Chinese point of vaccination centers, as well as options for installment payments that reduce the financial burden for low-income families. But it was actually the New York Times of all uh, of all organizations that, that showed just what this was really about. Uh, they reported, uh, after users fill in a form on Alipay with personal details, the software generates a QR code in one of three colors. A green code enables its holder to move about unrestricted. Someone with a yellow code may be asked to stay at home for seven days. Red means a two-week quarantine. In Hangzhou, it has become nearly impossible to get around without showing your Alipay code. Propaganda-style banners remind everyone of the rules. Green code, travel freely. Red or yellow code, remote, report immediately. So that was what Pfizer, in 2018, um, on a corporate level, was supporting, was working with, was working alongside, was the very um, uh, oppressive um, restrictions of a population that would support the rollout of vaccines. And that's what we're now seeing. It's trialed in China. We're now seeing it in the West. We're seeing it in America. We're seeing it in Great Britain. We're seeing it across Europe. Uh, David, if I can just, just come in there and add, and of course in that report is admitting that alongside the basic push of the Chinese government policy supported by Pfizer, they've had to use propaganda. And we're going to come on to that in just a moment. Uh, now, a theme of what you've been talking about, David, is whether the statistics and the data were correct. And uh, well, I think we called this out at the time, but uh, here is full facts response to the Lorraine Kelly and uh, the doctor, uh, I can't remember which doctor she had on, uh, but the claim was 90% of people in hospital with COVID-19 are un unvaccinated. Yes, yeah, so this was what was frightening one of the two people the Guardian could find who were vaccine refuseniks that um, that changed their minds. This this had, had had scared him, so he operated against his his personal judgment. Um, and of course, it's it was a lie. Um, even full fact, even full fact had to admit this is not correct. The true figure is more like 36%. I'd question that one as well. However, the signs that unvaccinated people are the majority in intensive care. I'd also question that one. Um, so they finish up um, with a push for vaccination. They say vaccination protects very well. All the COVID vaccines currently available in the UK greatly reduce your chance of getting seriously ill with the disease. And they then go and talk about the effectiveness, uh, including 75% at six months plus, that's not correct either. Uh, we've seen in the Danish study that it very rapidly becomes negative the the benefit of of, of these uh, of these vaccines. So, full facts, not exactly um, defending truth, and certainly not showing a different uh, understanding of events. But even full fact had to admit that the ninety percent claim was completely wrong. Um, but of course, it was repeated all around the mainstream media at the time, and it will have induced many people, like the person reported in The Guardian, to change their minds, to set aside their better judgment, and to get vaccinated. So it, it shows you just the responsibility that uh, Lorraine Kelly and, uh, and, and that her morning programme and other mainstream media outlets have 
for the vaccine damage uh, and and serious adverse reactions that people are sadly suffering. Yeah. So, David, we're we're seeing the uh, the government manipulate data uh, across the spectrum, ONS data, medical data, NHS reports, in order to push through its agenda. But alongside that, we have got now a massive uh, propaganda campaign being pushed out by Boris. Johnson's government. Let's actually bring in Boris and have a look at one of the clips that a viewer sent through to us. Uh, this is him with his daddy Boris hat on. Uh, trust me, I'm a loving father. I've got many, many children. Um, trust me with the vaccine rollout. Let's have a look at this man. Make it your New Year's resolution far easier than losing weight or keeping a diary. Find a walk-in centre or make an online appointment get that jab and do something that will make 2022 a happy new year for us all. Now, the tragic thing, of course, is that uh, we're all responsible for that man being uh, uh, prime minister, ultimately, because people either voted for him or failed to do anything to get him removed from post. And we're now going to suffer the consequence. Uh, but what is his government unleashed? A massive, massive propaganda uh, regime. Let's have a look at um, the uh, headlines that were back on the 20, uh, 20th of December 2021. These are front pages as uh, recorded in newsstand. So we've got the Daily Mail full front page advert from the NHS, get vaccinated, the Daily Express alongside it. This is huge amounts of government money paying for this, uh, Mike. And of course, you pointed out that the government was grabbing hundreds of millions of pounds for just this campaign. So it goes on down through the racks. We've got the uh, mirror here, get boosted now for front page alongside the Daily Star. And then down at the bottom, we've got the Telegraph. And I think the other one is the Times. So essentially, the UK government uh, simply using taxpayers' money now to run this blatant, I'm calling it mind-numbing, uh, propaganda campaign to get their message out using all of this manipulated data about uh, the so-called viruses and so-called pandemic and so-called benefits of the vaccine. Uh, but of course, we also got another dose over the uh, Christmas period because this was the government uh, website boasting that get boosted now text messages were to go out on Boxing Day. And uh, I was one of many people who received one of those really objectionable texts. So, Well, in fact, everybody did. Well, it would be interesting to know how many people did, Mike. Well, clearly millions and millions no, of Every people single did. person with a mobile phone got it because the mobile phone companies. Right, am I, uh, am I no, no, it's fine. We're in, uh, we're in bed with them. Uh, so we weren't permitted to even have a couple of days respite from this vicious uh, psychological operation by the government. And uh, this was the interesting thing here, because this wasn't just the Department of Health and Social Care and the NHS. It, this was working with the Cabinet Office, so we can be sure that this uh, was behavioural insight style, SAGE, spy B application of political psychological programming. And as you've just said, rammed into everybody's home via their mobile phone over the Christmas period. Uh, but if that wasn't enough, then thank you very much to the viewer who sent this one through. So this was apparently uh, Liverpool. And on screen, we've got a picture of two young men with the modern equivalent of a sandwich board. So they've got uh, small TV computer screens 
above them with uh, a whole message about getting vaccinated. So this was uh, being forced on the Christmas shoppers. So, I mean, this is this is truly incredible stuff. And, um, you know, where does it lead to? Well, it leads to even worse things. And I think we've got a small clip here from the British Heart Foundation, uh, which is putting out its own form of propaganda. Well, this is uh, the British Heart Foundation and it's their latest uh, television advertisement. And we're just going to show the first half of it. Uh, the second half of it is all about how the British Heart Foundation is promoting science and so on. But I just thought the, the message in the first half of this, well, watch this. I'm dead. He was a scientific hypothesis. He was a groundbreaking innovation. So undoubtedly, they would say that that was uh, being fairly hard-hitting. And for those uh, listening only, uh, basically the closing shot that you saw there was of a young uh, girl, a teenager, I think, uh, on the football field, collapsing. Uh, as I think this the implication is, the is she's dropping dead. Mark. Well, indeed, I, indeed. Yeah. And uh, so I saw that over the Christmas period uh, on television. And I have to admit, I was fairly shocked by it. Um, David, before we move on with this, what, what's your thoughts on that? Well, that's the first time I saw that. I'm, I'm shocked by it. I think that's appalling. Um, uh, it's, it's shocking. And of course, against the background of uh, a, a huge spate of, of sportsmen, sportswomen collapsing on fields or, or dying unexpectedly um, uh, and uh, vast numbers of, of uh, football fans being taken out of, of stadiums and footballers being taken off of, of fields with, with heart or breathing problems um, all across um, the globe. Uh, it, it, it seems to be, well, an odd choice. Why would they suddenly go there? Because this because is new. Because they're normalising it, David. That is yeah. what is going on there. They're normalising it. And, and of course, we don't need to worry that uh, our young people are dropping on the football fields because the British Heart Foundation is there uh, with their science uh, to look after them. Uh, the fact that they're dead doesn't seem to, uh, uh, well, be relevant. No, so, yeah, normalising. This is a crude attempt to try and dismiss the fact that we've now got large numbers of sports players, including very fit young people, men and women, dropping on the sports field. The government wants this covered up as soon as possible. So you bring in a charity to produce that type of video. Um, but you've, you've mentioned science. So let's bring in science and have a look at uh, Mr. Von Tam, who's been speaking to youngsters over the Christmas period. Let's have a look at this clip. Good evening. I'm Professor Jonathan Van Tam, Deputy Chief Medical Officer for England. And many of you may have seen me giving public health announcements from the podium at number 10 Downing Street. But tonight is different. Tonight, I'm speaking to you as a scientist and a doctor, not a government advisor. Welcome to the Royal Institution Christmas Lectures. Tonight, 
we're going viral. Well, that was impressive. Well, just uh, pathetic and horrific at the same time. And of course, he ends by pointing his finger and saying the virus. And this is the man who's apparently going to talk to our uh, uh, children about what the reality is of the uh, so-called pandemic. I thought I'd just uh, bring him up on screen again, uh, just to see whether we could see anything that, of course, the uh, wider media doesn't report. But this was him at his little uh, podium, stay alert, control the virus, save lives. Uh, well, then what happens? Well, we have the smoke and mirrors. Uh, but of course, it's what happens after that, because if we really think about what this man's doing, he's, confused, he's causing conf chaos, confusion and fear. So if we want to analyse what the magic is that Jonathan Fontam is using here, this is chaos magic. And uh, this is designed to really damage the minds of the population in the UK. It's not only the UK column that's now started to understand this malicious use of political psychology, because several people were picking up on this uh, little book called Condensed Chaos, an introduction to chaos magic. And they're paying attention to the fact there's some pretty um, evil ideas circulating as to how you can use chaos in communities and a nation state in order to not only change it, but uh, collapse it from the inside. And on the subject of uh, magic, many people over the Christmas period picking up about what the real dangers of masks are. And so this uh, tweet had come out, did you participate in a black magic ritual without being aware uh, since the pandemic? And this is about mask magic, and it's got a section here uh, talking about the use of masks to change people's personalities. So this is uh, certainly not very positive. Um, so we've got another tweet here saying the masks were very important. And uh, another one here saying, I studied theatre for five years. In a few classes, we studied new neutral masks as a way of studying human behaviour and used them as a tool to examine our own behaviour and that of a potential character when giving myself to the mask I found it similar to pushing the ego aside. And if people would like to dig into this subject a little bit more, you might like to go to this site, Have You Not Read, uh, about occult ritual transformation and coronavirus, how mask wearing, hand washing, social separation and lockdown are age old occult rituals being used to initiate people into a new global order. Now, perhaps several years ago, we might have looked at this with a bit of amusement. But as we look at the type and style of the applied psychology that the government's using, clearly things are getting darker and uh, deeper by the minute. And of course, uh, one of the things that goes alongside with the propaganda is fear. Uh, so here we've got the mail from over the Christmas period, door to door COVID jabs, as Boris considers New Year restrictions tomorrow, but vows to keep schools open. So this is one of these mixed messages which causes uh, trouble in people's brains because the door-to-door -door people don't like somebody turning up on their doorstep, whether it's to sell or to give them a, a questionnaire or to ask them uh, if they're going to have a jab. Um, but then there's the positive part of this message. But essentially, this is about fear. And uh, another viewer was kind enough to send in this uh, very interesting document. It's called Enforcement May Crowd Out Voluntary Support for COVID-19 Policies 
especially where trust in government is weak and in a liberal society. And this is a well-researched paper now starting to say, well, we're heading in some dangerous ground uh, because if you want to use enforcement, uh, but the uh, society doesn't trust the government, you're actually going to make them more reticent about following the policy. And so perhaps we ought to be using more propaganda to coerce people. So I'm just going to say, David, very quickly, it's, uh, it's very interesting to see the sheer weight of effort and the amount of finance that the British government's now putting into propaganda with fear included in order to get people to take up these vaccines. This is of their case, um, bribery and fear. Uh, Desmond Swain called out the masks. He said uh, he'd been informed when he, he was asking for scientific justification. It was about sending a message. And he said, I don't like the message. Um, and I'd have to say, uh, Mr. Van Tam, if he's ever planning to, um, you know, maybe go on to panto season or, or something like this, he really needs to work on his delivery. That was one of the most cringy things I've ever seen. Yes. We'll leave it there. <laughs> okay, so uh, up to Scotland uh, for a second, David. And uh, Devi Sridhar, she's been writing in the Devi, Guardian. She has. Uh, Devi the disheartened, we must now call her, because the word disheartened comes up a lot. She writes, being a public health expert, I, I, would, I would put an asterisk there. <laughs> Because I don't think she is. But still, being a public health expert during the pandemic has been disheartening. When the next one comes, we must do better. right? And this, this little article illustrates just how completely she has lost the argument, just how utterly defeated she has been um, on all technical and scientific grounds uh, when she's come up against the so-called sceptics. Um, she said, before the experience for the past two years of COVID-19, I'd assumed that a, de a deadly viral outbreak would be quickly contained by governments, especially in rich countries with good health systems. Uh, I mean, who would want to risk getting a deadly infection? So she's saying she'd assumed everyone would do exactly as they were told. That's how well Evie understands human nature. She continues, now I wonder if an even more deadly virus like a pandemic-ready version of MERS, a coronavirus which killed 20% of those infected in South Korea before it was contained in 2015, would be treated in the same way as COVID-19. Now, this is remarkable, because what she's doing here is she's taken a completely hypothetical virus in a hypothetical future, which has got a 100 times greater lethality, and now she's telling a fictional story about that. That's how much she has failed to actually engage with reality. That's how much she's been defeated in the area of reality. So we're not talking about 99.98% survival rate. No, we're talking about an 80% survival rate, 20% death rate, completely fictional. That's where she went. She could not speak about the reality of the actual COVID-19 um, outbreak. Um, so she, she continues... Um, uh, would there be similar scenarios uh, in every pandemic after that? After my experience of actively working through the COVID-19 pandemic, these possibilities, that, that is possibilities of people not doing what they're told, seem horrifyingly possible. Um, so she says, how is someone supposed to sift facts and real data from the manufactured 
and glitzy stories in social media. There's little or no regulation of quality of data on uh, or sources on the internet. Some of the small lessons I've learned are to explain science clearly and simply, as though you're talking to school children. She so didn't even manage that, incidentally. Uh, so that it's comprehensible to everyone and to try and reach people in small groups or at an individual level. Fighting misinformation on social media is a losing battle. Important too for the experts to engage with TV, radio, newspaper, as the mass media still carries considerable influence. Now, that's an admission that the mass media does not carry the influence it used to. Right? That's admitting that they have lost the fight on social media, they've lost the, the info war, and uh, that their the, the predominance in the, the fact that they can buy the allegiance of TV, radio, and newspapers is considerable, but it's not enough. It's a very, very interesting confession by Devi. So she finishes up, now's the time to understand and address these problems. I've written a book. I don't know if this one's with Chelsea Clinton like the last one. Maybe it is. Out next year about the experience of advising government and trying to communicate the fast-moving science and policy of the pandemic to the public, and hopefully how to do everything better next time. So there's going to be a next one, don't worry. Reflecting and thinking ahead isn't a theoretical exercise because we know the next pandemic is coming, whether it's MERS or SARS, so the one she mentioned with the 20% death rate, she thinks that's coming, or something else. Uh, there may not be a quiet time to do it. Uh, like everything else, in the past two years, we have to learn the lessons as we go. So there we go. She's she's trying to learn lessons, but she's she's disheartened. She's def she's quite clearly lost the argument. It's a, a a very striking admission. Okay, thank you for that, David. Now, if you like what the UK column does and you would like to support us, uh, then please head over to ukcolumn.org/community. Uh, and there are options to help us out there. And if you are watching the UK column news for free or you're reading our material for free, then uh, we do need your financial support. So please do uh, uh, have a look at that and see uh, how you could help. Uh, and also please do share our material on the various platforms. Okay, uh, people are often asking us for positive things that they can do. Uh, this was sent in to us over the Christmas period. Uh, a vaccination checklist. So this is not uh, an official NHS document, of course. The idea of this is to provide people with well-researched questions that they can ask vaccination teams uh, in order to be able to make an informed decision about whether to accept a vaccination or not. So uh, that's been on screen long enough for you to freeze that section and have a look in your own time. I'll just bring up the second part of it, if we can pop that one back up. Uh, there we are. So these are very good questions. They will make sense as you read through. And in actually reading through the questions, people will be uh, working to inform themselves about the dangers of uh, vaccines. Uh, but uh, there, there we go. That's, uh, that was a very good thing. Now, um, where do we start 2022? There's been some very interesting things happening. Certainly, Tony's Blair, Tony Blair's name has come into the uh, wider press and media. Uh, but I thought we'd just pick up on this little video clip, which is taken from Andrew Marr, who's no longer going to be producing his programmes. I'm delighted. Uh, but uh, there was some interesting material in there. And I thought we'd just have a recap of some of our illustrious prime ministers. And uh, presumably we will want to thank them for their efforts in collapsing the country. Let's have a look at this clip. Welcome. My pleasure to be at the start of a new program. It's very kind of you to come art, here. Art, music, uh, art, music and everything. Wave goodbye <laughs> and don the swimming trunks and walk away from it all. 
in a different Paris where we tried different to Paris <laughs> What went wrong, do you think? I don't think it has gone wrong. Towards the end, I think, fr frankly, it was, it was hard going on, impossible. It was like lovers, you said. It was as intense and close as that. Yeah, I mean, let me sort of qualify that. <laughs> Boris, you mentioned the word Dalek earlier on, so we've, we've obliged. Um, yeah, he's got me surrounded. Touring round and, and you're still getting a buzz out of it. What a wonderful interviewer you are. <laughs> Much nicer than I was. I'll not be calling an election. And let me explain why. At what point did you decide, OK, I'm going to try and go for the coalition? Do you like him? Well, I, we work very well together. But, uh, I am happily married, but to my <laughs> wife, not to Nick Clegg. As I discovered over 20 minutes. Nice to see you again. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much. Benjamin Netanyahu has come to London, where he's been in talks with Theresa May. Uh, cheeky question. You're right, that is a cheeky question. Would you like there to be somebody with that sense of history that you could just totally privately shoot the breeze with? Well, uh, I don't know if anybody shoots the breeze with uh, Her Majesty the Queen. <laughs> Do you have a personal problem with gay people? And I myself know some people who are gay, who are on friendly terms. What's important? So we stopped that little clip there, but uh, there were some of the terrible faces that, of course, have been ultimately been responsible for destroying the country. Andrew Marr has never pinned those men and women down on any serious questions about what they have done inside UK to destroy our country. Uh, but of course, he did lay into Putin on the subject of gay rights, which he felt was more important than had the nation's gold been sold off under Gordon Brown. But of course, what's happened in the last few days? Well, the Cabinet Office couldn't resist tweeting this one out. It's the 2022 New Year Honours List uh, has been announced. Uh, for our audience, we want to say the key question is who actually was the person who nominated Tony Blair for a knighthood? Uh, because that's the uh, deeply depressing situation. Sky News, big up on it here with New Year's honours. Tony Blair awarded knighthood as Team GB. Team GB, stars and celebrities are recognised. Uh, the BBC, of course, was on the back of it as well. Blair becomes Sir Tony and joins the top royal order. But of course, when you read through the BBC's text, what they desperately tried to do is protect Tony Blair with this a vacuous statement under Sir Tony's leadership, the UK joined the US-led invasions of Iraq and Afghanistan. An official inquiry into the 2003 Iraq war was strongly critical of his government and UK military chiefs. Uh, his government, not him. Of course, and bring in the military uh, chiefs. And uh, what have we got here? Well, this is protecting Tony Blair from the reality, which is that he, he helped create a war in which millions died on the back of his government's lies over uh, weapons of mass destruction. So a typical um, uh, whitewash by the BBC. Uh, you've raised a hand, David. I just thought people would be interested at change.org. Oh, hold uh, on. No, 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 no. You're preempting it. Just just hold on. Let's uh, we're getting there. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. OK, so uh, what else did the BBC do? Well, apparently there had been a quote by Buckingham Palace. Now, building speaking is something that I'm not used to, but uh, we've taken a few of the words that the BBC uh, printed. So the order of the garter, this is, this is what Tony's going to be given as a lady's garter, was apparently instituted by Edward III in the 14th century. And it's to, quote, honour those who have undertaken public service, who have contributed in a particular way to national life who, or who have served the sovereign 
personally. So as opposed to serviced? Well, lying over weapons of mass destruction in order to get a war where many, many people died and were maimed. This is apparently um, personal service to the sovereign. I find this deeply offensive uh, by the uh, Queen herself and Buckingham Palace and the BBC. So, you know, if we look at it, that starting wars on the back of lies is great for the nation and deserves to be honoured with a, a girly garter, as I'm calling it, for Tony Blair. I don't know which trouser leg he's going to wear it under, but I'm sure he'll be wearing it. Well, then over the last few days, the BBC actually backed away from that article a bit more because they re- replaced it in prominence, at least by this one, uh, New Year's Honours, Witty Von Tam. So he's, he's, he's a knighted magician. I mean, how far up the ladder can you go? Uh, Anne Blair and Joanna Lumley. Now, I'm not sure what she's been doing in the background. And Redgrave have been made da- uh, dames, so they'll be ready for the Christmas pantomime. But what we need to remind people is, of course, what Blair really has got this award for is his work, I'm going to suggest, with the Institute for Global Change. And if you don't know about this pernicious organisation, you need to get into it because apparently Tony Blair is advising and equipping leaders to respond to crises such as uh, COVID-19. And if you dig deeper into his organisation, you'll come up with people like this gentleman, Charlie Winter. Uh, Well, what is he? Well, he's a fellow at the International Centre for the Study of Radicalisation, but he's part of the Tony Blair's team. And if we have a look at the sort of material he's producing, well, we've got a very interesting document here about violent extremist innovation across ideological analysis. So if you think you're going to be standing on the streets criticising Tony Blair, you're going to find yourself in a pamphlet like this and branded as some extremist person, I'm going to suggest. But there is some good news, Mike. Well, as David uh, blew uh, a few minutes, a few moments ago, uh, David, David, since he was looking at the website, can tell us in a second what the current uh, total is. But when I took this uh, or grabbed this screenshot, it was uh, three hundred ninety-seven thousand six hundred eighty-eight, and that was about uh, uh, about twenty to one or so. I grabbed that one. So uh, Tony Blair to have his knight companion of the most noble order of the Garter rescinded is what the uh, is the title of the. Uh, uh, the petition. Uh, so, what is the uh, the current total, David? Four hundred seventeen thousand eight hundred twenty-five six. Well, so it's it's going up. It's, up. Uh, it's going up very well. So yeah. I think it's it's reasonable for us to ask here and now for as many of uh, the UK column viewers as possible uh, to have some good fun in twenty twenty two and get on. Let's boost it to over half a million and see whether we can cut off Tony's garters. Yes, indeed. Uh, Which takes us to uh, mass formation psychosis. David. Yes, so this is uh, Robert Malone, whose work we've covered uh, several times in the past. Uh, He's talking here about mass mass hypnosis or the madness of crowds. Um, uh, We've got a small clip from him uh, speaking on... um, uh, uh, a, a talk show in the United States. The name will come to me by the time we finish the clip. Right, Rogan, Joe Rogan. From basically European intellectual inquiry into what the heck happened in Germany in the 20s and 30s. You know, very intelligent, highly educated population, and they went barking mad. Um, and how did that happen? Um, 
the answer is mass formation psychosis. When you have a society that has become decoupled from each other and has free-floating anxiety and a sense that things don't make sense, we can't understand it, and then their attention gets focused by a leader or a series of events on one small point, just like hypnosis, they literally become hypnotized and can be led anywhere. And one of the aspects of that phenomena is the people that they identify as their leaders, the ones typically that come in and say, you have this pain and I can solve it for you, I and I alone, okay, can fix this problem for you, okay, then they will lead, they will follow that person through, it doesn't matter whether they lie to them or whatever, the data are irrelevant. And furthermore, anybody who questions that narrative is to be immediately attacked, they are the other. <clears throat> this is central to mass formation psychosis. And this is what has happened. We had all those conditions. If you remember back before, 2019, everybody was complaining, the world doesn't make sense, blah, blah, blah. Um, and we're all isolated from each other. We're all on our little tools. We're not connected socially anymore, except through social media. Um, and then this thing happened and everybody focused on it. That is how mass formation psychosis happens. Now, writing uh, here, um, uh, uh, Dr. Mullen um, continues, uh, those hypnotized by this process are unable to recognize the lies and misrepresentations they're being bombarded with on a daily basis and actively attack anyone who has the temerity to share information with them which contradicts the propaganda that they've come to embrace. I'm sure many people listening will um, recognize that scenario. He also commented, uh, studies suggest that mass formation uh, follows a general distribution. 30% of brainwashed, hypnotized, indoctrinated by the group narrative. 40% are in the middle and persuadable and may follow if no other alternative is perceived. And 30% fight against the narrative. Those that rebel and fight against the narrative become the enemy of the brainwashed and the primary target of aggression. It's interesting that that exactly describes, including the statistics, Scottish politics and uh, the SNP. And uh, he, he completes the article with the following observations, which is, well, it may well be um, prophetic. We will see. One of the best ways to counter mass formation is for those against the narrative to continue to speak out against it, which serves to help break the hypnosis of some in the brainwash group, as well as to persuade uh, the persuadable middle to choose reason over mindlessness. Dr. Desmet suggests that for something as big as COVID-19, the only way to break the mass formation psychosis is to give the crowd something bigger to focus on. He believes that totalitarianism may be the bigger issue. Of course, after COVID-19, global totalitarianism may be the biggest issue of our time. Yeah, well, that's a pretty accurate assessment, of course, by somebody who should know what they're talking about, about what we're seeing. If I can just give a little... Uh, anecdotal story about utter madness and how people accept it. It was taking a comfort break uh, on the M4 just into uh, Wales over the Christmas period and uh, a trip to the gents uh, showed that uh, out of every three urinals two were taped off and only one was in action so you could only stand there with the space of two urinals between individuals having their comfort break um, so this was clearly a uh, Omicron protection. 
however, when you washed your hands and then went to the dryers, the dryers were there perfectly normally and you stood next to the individual to uh, use the warm air to dry your hands. So I consulted Patrick Henningsen as to how this system could possibly work and be safe. And he pointed out to me that, of course, it was the hot air from the blowers that was blowing the uh, COVID and the away. away. Uh, but I'm making light of what a very, you know, what's a very serious subject. Clearly walking into that room was walking into utter madness. But of the travellers, and there were many of them on the day using those facilities, uh, none of them, I think, really picked up the fact that their minds were being seriously undermined and attacked by, by those measures. Okay, now, of course, control of the narrative uh, is a very key point, as, uh, as David has just highlighted. And, uh, well, the person who was effectively going to be in charge of uh, controlling the narrative was Paul Dacre, formerly uh, of the Daily Mail. Uh, and, uh, well, he has published an article in The Spectator, sorry, explaining why uh, he is no longer taking that job as chairman of Ofcom, who, of course, are going to be put in charge of regulating everything, not just uh, the telecommunications industry and broadcast media, but also the Internet as well. Um, so what's he saying in this article? He's saying uh, you can appoint your own chief executive, boomed the PM over a rather sad bottle of wine. He was asking if I would like to chair the media regulator Ofcom because he declared he was determined to do something to end the usual suspects control of our public bodies. It was soon apparently that I couldn't appoint my own chief executive or take people with me. Uh, and as all the key positions at Ofcom are chosen by, quote, independent panels, uh, the chairman's role is clearly is, is heavily circumscribed. So why bother? Uh, the answer was I was fascinated by the societal implications of the online safety bill that Ofcom will implement. Uh, and he went on to say that uh, or he went on to heavily criticize the BBC uh, because he said uh, that he was quoting children here saying or teenagers, whatever, saying vice is nice, but incest is best. But we ch we chanted as children at playtime sublimely ignorant of the words abhorrence. But by Jove, Ofcom is partial to interfamily relationships, uh, packing its ranks with former executives from the very BBC it's meant to regulate. Uh, these include one board member who's tipped uh, to be the, the BBC's next director of news and another who's headed the panel that adjudicates on complaints against the corporation uh, and who had to resign because of his involvement with the Martin Bashir scandal. Oh, yes, he also sat on AFCAM's non nominations committee. Uh, thus does the BBC mark its own homework uh, and the blob promote its own. Uh, and uh, now, although he goes on in the article to suggest that the BBC is a, a magnificent institution that uh, needs saving from itself and it's really just the uh, obscene bureaucracy that uh, needs to be sorted out um, uh, and then the article goes on to say that the, his main reason for not taking the job is because he doesn't feel that he can uh, deal with the BBC's and, and the Guardian's uh, in particular with the BBC because it's broadcast media uh, totally anti-Brexit stance so Dacre is not uh, taking the job uh, and the question is who will take the job well we'll find out in a second but nonetheless the criticism seems to have resulted in some kind of action from the uh, Department of Culture, Digital Media and Sport, because here's the mail uh, talking about Nadine Dorries plan to target Ofcom uh, over bias towards the BBC as officials uh, raise concern that 10 out of 14 of regulators content board members used to work at the broadcaster. So as I say, the question then is if Dacre's not going to do the job uh, and Dacre very much despised by the 
establishment who possibly could take the job. Um, and uh, well, we get an idea from Bloomberg uh, because here it is. Uh, well, it's former BBC chairman Michael Grid is being considered for the Ofcom job. So uh, clearly, uh, the, the intention is to to stick with it because uh, it is Ofcom completely BBC controlled, and who better, therefore, to to take the the chairman's job? Uh, but of course, it wasn't Nadine Dorries or the Daily Mail uh, or, uh, in fact, uh, Paul Dacre who have been highlighting the issue of uh, uh, the. BBC cronyism within Ofcom. It has been the UK column and uh, during 2020 and 2021, Brian on a number of occasions uh, brought up uh, many of the board uh, members. And in fact, uh, just in December, Ian Davis in his coverage of the Online Safety Act, uh, this article on the UK column front page at the moment, if you want to go and read it and most importantly share it, uh, he said, uh, Ian Davis made this uh, point that when we consult Ofcom's board of Boards declared, uh, sorry, declared register of interests. Any tenuous notion of independence evaporates of the 40 board members and all spread between Ofcom's executive content and advisory boards. 11 have financial times, ties to the BBC, not 10 as the uh, Daily Mail suggested, and 26 are either currently or were formerly in government roles. So uh, it, Ofcom, absolutely an independent organization, Brian, and uh, we can rely on them to regulate the internet just as well as we can rely on them as we have relied on to, to regulate broadcast media. To which we have to say not. 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 Yes. Okay, well, uh, one of the things that, uh, of course, the BBC is also going to spin on um, is the subject of the Maxwell trial, Ghislaine Maxwell. And of course, we had the guilty verdict appearing over the Christmas period for, I think it was four out of five uh, charges. So she's now uh, waiting sentences, sentencing. Uh, but let's just remind ourselves that when we look at this headline, uh, verdict reaction, no one is above the law. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, that's a very interesting claim by the BBC News. We have to go to the star uh, to remember a few things. Royal cover up, police censor. Jimmy Savile interview transcript. Uh, so this was back in October 2013. Under caution, Savile told officers the first time he visited a Surrey school where he was said to have abused girls was with Princess Alexandra for a garden party. Uh, then there was more detail in the article, uh, papers from a 2009 police quiz. That's a very interesting expression, isn't it? Not an investigation. Uh, it was only children, so we had a bit of a fun quiz. Um, but uh, what they pointed out quite rightly in the star was that out of 26 pages, um, which exposed him as an evil pervert and as a bully and a liar, there was 96 redactions. And they said that today we can reveal the documents had been vetted by Buckingham Palace and that the serial sex attackers royal connections were removed. So let's remind ourselves. Well, well just before we do this, so just to remind ourselves, this is the, the same Jimmy Savile that was given a knighthood. Uh, yes, and indeed, we were never able to find out who nominated him mm. for that knighthood, Mike. So, yes, well remembered. Uh, here's the BBC with a follow-up story, what the Maxwell trial means for Prince Andrew. And uh, they're now beginning to realise that because he relied on the fact that he said his relationship with Ghislaine was the main relationship. He didn't really know Epstein. He only knew Ghislaine, uh, she's now been found guilty, so he's now got a bigger problem. Uh, but uh, here's the Times came in with veteran tells Andrew to step down from the guards. 
Uh, but what's fascinating with this uh, article is it's taken an Afghanistan veteran, Lance Sergeant Julian Pereira, to call for Prince Andrew to be stripped of his nine honorary military titles. So there is mention of uh, Mr. Kemp in this particular article. Um, but uh, where are all the senior officers commenting on this? It's all gone deathly quiet because nobody uh, wants to um, lift the rock to look at the truth about the abuse of children. Uh, but of course, we need uh, Prince Andrew to appear in court so that we at least know uh, he's innocent and then everybody knows exactly what the playing field is. But surely we knew he was innocent after the uh, BBC interview uh, when he told us all about his inability to sweat and, and pizzas and things like this. Yes. Okay. Well, look, uh, we're, we're out of time. So, so let's just move on to some uh, uh, stuff at the, at the end here. And uh, David, uh, we have some congratulations to give. Yes, this is John and Diane, who are both UK call members and viewers, and um, and and have their their shared interest in truth um, to thank for finding one another. And uh, we have a little bit of video of uh, John proposing. <laughs> So well, congratulations well, to yeah, absolutely congratulations to them, but uh, we should just uh, apologise because the the video was a little little out of proportion there, so uh, they're just yeah, it was distorted. somewhat distorted. So, uh, but anyway, uh, brilliant to see. Uh, and uh, David, we've got some uh, uh, closing uh, memes, if we like. Uh, so, here's the first one. Yes, this is a, a fine T-shirt idea, trans-vaccinated, it reads. I, I'm not actually vaccinated, but I identify as someone who is vaccinated. So presumably that's okay. Uh, absolutely. And uh, the next one? The next one, we have a, a whole sea of non-player characters here repeating together. The flu is making a comeback after an unusual year off. So that's what the NPCs have to say. Uh, well, before we get on to the final one, David, I did notice uh, a couple of days ago that I think it was the Daily Mail uh, had a, an article explaining that uh, that the first uh, uh, identification of a combined flu and, and COVID uh, uh, coronavirus uh, 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 virus, a combined virus, has been seen in the wild and, and has been the, 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 somebody has tested positive for both SARS-CoV-2 and, and for flu. So, uh, you know, no suggestion that maybe uh, everybody that uh, tests positive for SARS-CoV-2 might also test positive for the flu. Not, none of that, but, but uh, there you go. Uh, uh, but we're going to end with this one. Yes, this is, this is illustrating um, the nature of government intervention. So here you have a bottle of Coca-Cola labelled literally anything. 
and uh, some of those uh, menthol sweeties that make the Coca-Cola explode into a frothy mess. Uh, that's called uh, government intervention. And I thought that rather summed it up nicely. Uh, it does. Yeah, excellent. Well, thank you very much for bringing us that uh, lovely little clip, which people seem to have enjoyed. We'd like to say once again, a huge, huge thank you to everybody that sent us uh, emails and texts and also uh, cards. So we've come back in the new year to find that there's another very big pile of cards which has come in. Uh, we've opened a few. We'll do some more a little bit later. Uh, but they're all saying thank you very much for what we're doing. And we say back to our audience, uh, this is such a huge boost for us to know that uh, you're appreciating what we're doing. We encourage you to uh, support and spread the word of UK Column because it is our absolute intention to uh, expand this year, this coming year. And of course, we're only in a position to be able to even think about that thanks to all the uh, financial support long-term support we've had from many UK Column viewers. Mm. So um, stay posted, but the aim is for UK Column to be growing in 22. Uh, we'll be back in a few minutes for some extra if you're on the main UK Column live stream. And I guess we'll see everybody on Wednesday otherwise. Hopefully. Yes. Okay. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye.